I think there's this interesting thing where we want to know, right? Like we want to know the next step. We want to know the next thing. But I don't think you get the net, right? Like when they say jump off the cliff and the universe will catch you. I don't think you get caught unless you jump without knowing there's a net. You know, I think that's actually part of it. And as much as I say that, when I'm in the act of doing it, it's easy to look back and be like, everybody just fucking jump off this cliff. There's nets everywhere. (laughs) But I haven't jumped off this cliff. I know I'll come back to this conversation in a year and be like, well, that was fucking crazy. Welcome to Men This Way, the podcast for every man who seeks to live his deepest purpose in life, who's committed to showing up fully and giving his unique gifts to the world. Because if not you, then who? I'm your host and fellow journeyman, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y, Reeves. Men, this way. Are you in the midst of a major life transition or heading towards one? Have you ever felt both excitement and terror of change overtaking you? And are you comfortable with not knowing what's next as you let go of what was? Well, in this episode, my guest is my old friend, Mark Groves, the renowned founder of Create the Love on Instagram. And he's also our repeat guest here on Men This Way because our conversations are always inspiring and enlightening for me personally, and I love getting to share them with you. And Mark and I mine the questions just posed and more for useful insights to make a meaningful difference in your life. But first, let me start with a personal story. In late winter 2001, just nine months before 9-11, I left the Air Force after 10 years of service. When all my military buddies were leaving for high-paying jobs with government contractors, I gave my things away and went walkabout into the world. Just three weeks into my journey, late one evening while hitchhiking through northern Wales en route to wherever, I experienced an intense emotional meltdown in an old red British phone box. That's what they call phone booths over there, I think. Crumpled into the fetal position at the bottom of the phone box, my whole body shook with deep, tearful sobs as the pain I had buried so long beneath a mask of perfected stone ruptured like an earthquake from my core. I couldn't go back to my old life as a military officer, but I had no idea where else to go. I felt utterly lost. I had no idea who I was or even who I was supposed to become. That moment was perhaps my first real taste of crossing the chasm that exists in every meaningful life transition, where somehow you just know everything, or at least something massive about your life has to change, and yet you don't quite know what it's supposed to change into. Well, fortunately, everything turned out wonderfully, as it tends to do so when we allow ourselves to cross that chasm, even though at times it may feel like we're going to (laughs) die. For actually, indeed, there is a death. The death of the old self, of the old identity, or way of doing things. And that's what Mark and I talk about in today's episode, transitions. We both share of our own deeply personal experiences, as we always do in our conversations, and how we are even now experiencing transitions that both excite and frighten us. And Mark also shares a significant personal announcement that does the same, deeply excites and frightens him. I love my conversations with Mark, and I'm confident you're going to get a lot out of this episode. 
Now, one last thing before we dive in, I've only got one spot left for my year-long Elevate 2023 coaching adventure for men committed to thriving. And look, if you've heard this announcement a few times on this podcast and you've thought about it but haven't taken action yet, or maybe you're unsure if this is for you or you've been on the fence for any reason, now is the time to take action. There is no obligation for just going to brianreeves.com slash elevate. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash elevate and filling out the application. That's a solid first step for helping you even know if this is a potentially good fit for you. And it also helps us know the same. Again, Elevate 2023 is my year-long coaching adventure for men. We've already filled nine of 10 available spots and only one spot remains. If you're a man and you're looking to make 2023 a year of real breakthroughs in the areas of your life that are most important to you, go to brianreeves.com elevate to learn more and apply now. Now back to my conversation with Mark Groves. Take a deep breath and stay present with us all the way through to the end of this episode of Men This Way. But before we dive in, Men, listen up. My year-long Elevate 2023 coaching adventure for men is almost full. I've only got five spots left at the time of this recording. Now, this is my third year running this year-long coaching experience, and I've got to tell you, it is life-changing for men to finally be surrounded by strong, like-hearted, trustable other men, including myself as your coach and facilitator for the journey, for an entire year, to know that you don't have to carry the burdens of your life alone anymore, that support is all around you, to be witnessed in all your carrying in your life, to be celebrated in the ways you are already succeeding, and to be challenged to up your game in the areas of life that are most important to you, well, Elevate is proving to be a priceless, life-changing experience for men. But more than my word, hear the words of actual men who've experienced Elevate. I feel like I'm a different person. I see the world in a different, through a different lens. It says never too late, but I wish I would have done this uh, 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm 48 years old now. I wish I would have done that 20 years ago. My experience in Elevate 2022 has been one of the most enlightening, emotional, spiritual journeys that I have been on in my life. I've done a lot of things. I've done a lot of retreats, a lot of, you know, self-help, self-inner work. And this had so many amazing different elements to it. It was something I think that I, I don't know. I didn't know that I needed it, but I've, but I've needed it. So if you're ready to elevate your life in 2023, I am now accepting applications at brianreeves.com slash elevate. Remember, it's brian with a Y, reeves.com slash elevate. And at the time of this recording, we've already filled five of 10 available spots. So only five remain. Again, go to brianreeves.com slash elevate and apply today. Do not delay. The life you are destined to live is waiting for you. If this speaks to you, go apply at brianreeves.com slash elevate. All right, let's dive. Mark Groves, welcome back to Men This Way. Man, always a pleasure to have you. Welcome, brother. 
I'm so excited to be here. Always a joy to have a convo with you. Who knows yeah. where it will take us. Mark, how has your year been, dude? It's like we're in December now. How's your year been? Oh, that's the year in review. You know, I just had my uh, 44th birthday. and What day? On November 10th. Okay. And I was reflecting on the year in my 44th year of life. And, uh, you know, I'd say that I've been in a tough year. I'd say the last couple of years have been pretty tough, but they've probably been tough for a lot of people just in terms of sort of the collective trauma that we've all been through and the impact on community, connection, relationships, strain on them, all that kind of stuff. And the world has, I guess, in some way been digital. We've like doubled down on the digitalization of humanity with things like Zoom meetings and all that stuff. Oh, and, and here comes AI. Right. I don't know if you're paying attention to that, but AI is starting to, to write college term papers and starting to write books, starting to write posts. like a Writing college term papers. Oh, I mean, I can get down with that. I'm not down with much other AI stuff. But <laughs> dude, like. it's fucking fascinating and not a, not a little frightening how here it comes. It's like, here it comes, AI. So in terms of the digitalization, the disassociating from our bodies into kind of a digital frame of reference for things. Yeah, I think one of the challenging parts of the last couple of years, but I think it's, it's probably been pretty evident for some people for maybe even a decade, is the challenge we have in discussing things that are sensitive. And I would say that's certainly not been, it used to be modeled by our academic centers, often our leaders, but that's not always true. And just because there's been so much amplification of division, you know, I think subjects like discussion of gender, the discussion of race, the discussion of COVID, all of it has uh, vaccines. I mean, all of this is just, it's almost like put more space or amplified the pain of the space that we feel lives between us. And I'd say the last, the greatest learning of my last year has been how important it is to be a bridge of curiosity even when I want to double down on my own ideologies. Yeah, and so it's been hard, but it's been one of those hards that, that's probably uh, true of most things that are challenging in life that's been really expansive. Yeah, I'm so aware, man, that we're all collective exhaustion. I don't care what ideology you espouse, you fall into. We're all fucking exhausted from the stress, I think, of the divisive nature of the communication and the conversation. And I think on one hand, I'm so saddened by that. I mean, even if within my own men's group, I don't know how you've experienced this in yours, but even within my own men's group, like there's a diversity of, of thoughts about COVID, vaccines, the pandemic, the government response, free speech, Elon Musk, good for Twitter, or is he a disaster? All these things. But the thing that has actually been a real blessing, a real gift is that at least in these smaller communities, like my men's group, we're really being challenged to talk about these things in, in ways that are respectful and honoring and embracing, you know, honoring of the relationship between us rather than just, you know, pulling out our swords of righteousness and trying to cut each other's heads off all the time. Yeah, amen to that. I think being in community where people can dialogue and discourse and disagree. And I think this is one of the things that we learn in relationship is that you can disagree and love is still present. And I think as children, when maybe that wasn't true, or we felt that wasn't true, or that's the story we told ourselves, as an adult, being able to love somebody and know that you don't agree. I mean, that's kind of everything. There's so much psychological safety in that. And it feels like the lack of that has just been pretty clear for some people. Families not inviting family members to things. Last night I was at a barbecue and I heard a guy start a sentence with, well, you know, Republicans think this. And I was just like, 
God. I'm Canadian, so I was able to observe the previous election with no partisan alignment. And I just said to him, you know, imagine if we turn towards even the way you start that sentence as Republicans do this or Democrats do this or whatever, which they both have sentences that start similar. And I said, just like, what appeals to somebody that they vote for someone like Trump? What appeals to somebody that they vote for someone like Biden? What appeals to somebody that they're militantly pro or anti anything? And maybe it is through social, I would imagine it's through social media that because we have like buttons and echo chambers. So, well, let's talk about transition, Mark, because I know this past year has been when we met, you were here in town. When was that? Was that the summer, this past summer? Early spring, maybe? You came into town for some talks? Yeah, like April or something. Somewhere around then, yeah. So this is now six months ago or so. And I recall that you were, I don't know what stage of transition you were in, but you were in the deep reflection of things are changing. Something's got to change. So I'm really excited to talk to you about transitions today. I mean, look, it's the end of the year. I too feel like, man, I'm in a deep, profound transition that I don't even fully understand what's happening. And you're a man, you've built something online that is, I mean, took how many years and how many hours and how much energy and investment. And tell us about the transition that you're aware you're going through. Thank you for that question. And yeah, you know, the I've been building Create the Love on Instagram for gosh, I think it's like eight years now. It might even be nine. I don't even know. Time's just going. And for the first, till last October, so a year ago, I hadn't missed a day posting and sometimes twice a day. Later on in the management of it, at least I had someone managing it, but like writing and creation wise, when people are like, oh, that person got lucky or I'm like, anytime I gave a mentorship or advice to someone on how to build something, most of them quit. <laughs> and yeah. then they're like, well, the algorithm's not favorable and blah, blah. With all that said, I think I started on there at a time that was when Danielle Laporte, Gabby Bernstein, Chris Illabo, they were all bloggers at the exact same time when blogging kind of took off. Actually, you were a blogger at that time too, and yours took off. So you were part of that wave. And then I think I was part of the more Instagram wave. So I did catch it at the right time and the combination of putting out content that was just like from my heart, what I was learning. So yeah, a lot of time went into building that. And I think one thing that I've become aware of, you know, in my previous life, I was a pharmaceutical rep over a decade too for 14 years. And the birth of wanting to teach romantic relationships was really starting to form from my own relational endings, challenges. And I feel a similar death occurring, you know, I that sometimes the dream you have is not the dream you had. And I think that can be a challenging thing because much like I didn't know what form Create the Love would take, I don't know what form the next step is taking. I just know that I have to trust that I'm not necessarily brought alive by discussing why people choose unavailable people anymore. <laughs> you know, like you can only have that fucking conversation so many times. Isn't that part of it though? Similarly, like I've been doing the kind of work I've been doing now for, man, I don't know, coming up on 10 years. Yeah. And after a while, it's like, okay, I've, I've said pretty much all I want to say on this subject, <laughs> right. at least in this, and it's documented. this frame. And it's documented. I got books, 
you want to ask me about it, go read a book, go look at my blogs, go, <laughs> go, go down the rabbit hole, man. I've already said it. It's there. You can even hear it out right. of my mouth because it's on video. I'm a fan of this model of transitions. William Bridges. Are you familiar with his model of transitions? No. So he wrote this in the context of his book called Transitions, but he wrote it in the context of like corporate transitions, companies going through management changes or mission changes or things like this. But there's three stages of transitions and it's going to seem almost ridiculously obvious when I say them, but there's some real potency in being aware of these transitions. One is the ending. The first stage is the ending. Something's ending, right? The old identity, the old practice, the old mission, the old rituals, the old tasks, like something's ending. And then where a lot of us go in our culture, we want to go right to what's new, the new beginning. I want to leave that, just leave the thing and go to the new thing. But there's a, an essential and inescapable middle step, which is what he calls the neutral zone. That's where it's ending, it's happening, but we don't quite know what the new beginning is yet. When I got out of the military at 26, this was, I called it the crossroads. It was both exhilarating and terrifying. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> like how much can you relate to the exhilaration and the terror of, of entering into the neutral zone? Yeah, you know, I think it was hard to accept it in a lot of ways, the sort of death of formerly my, you don't realize that your identity gets, again, built upon it. As much as you talk about it or think about it, you don't realize how much your identity gets formed in, like, conversations about romantic relationships or relationships in general, as you know, they're not necessarily controversial. Like, you're not going to really find yourself on the cancellation chopping block. You're not going to say much that people aren't going to relate to or at least understand. There's a few things maybe about infidelity or, you know, that gets people triggered. Cheating's not. Everyone participates on something. You know, like you say something that just like as soon as someone said infidelity, they're like, Oof, I'm coming after. There are some landmines in the space. But yeah, as long as you're bringing some experience and some wisdom and some balanced and nuanced perspective, you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. If you explore it with the space of language, you're usually pretty good. And I think what we were talking about early when we started recording, I think that's just become very topical for me that there hasn't really been many models of being bridges in dialogue. And that's been something I've been really curious about and and wanting to model it, which means I that death that you're talking about, the ending, you know, I've been reluctant to let go of create the love as a brand or a thought. I think that's two part. I think one, because sort of like my well-being is connected, not well-being, my financial security has been connected to that. And that's only been a short period that it's been financially great and being able to employ people and people I work with are like family. So there's that sense of responsibility. And there's what I know and what's familiar and I know I can do. And I had a, a friend who is a channel, a medium, and years, like at the beginning of COVID, she said to me, when you teach relationships, like you're funny and like you're pretty good at it. And and I knew something was coming. Right? She, led with <laughs> she set you up. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, but eventually people will stop listening to you because it won't be true. It won't be resonant in your voice. It won't be an integrity anymore. At the time, I was like, yeah, I can feel that. Like I could feel something being birthed. But now that's just so clear to me. And I have another Instagram called It's Mark Groves. And on that, I talk more about having been a pharma rep and the psychological process of influence and sales and just what I've witnessed in the pandemic. In that, I've been fascinated why people, as you said, like in your men's group, there's this division and challenge. And I noticed that just in general in family and friends, 
I'm like, why can't we talk about this? This makes no sense to me. And I found myself split, like where here I am in one place talking about romantic relationships and here I am in another place talking about what I'm angry about, what I'm passionate about, what I'm, and I used to be kind of angry about the relational space because I felt like no one was telling the truth. I felt like when a relationship ended, we felt like failures and we were told to feel like failures and we're made to feel like failures, yet you could be more liberated in that space than you've ever felt. And so it's this strange paradox where society says you're shitty now or you have no value because you're not in a relationship and yet you feel like you've valued yourself in a way. And so I, I recognized that that split, you know, it's like you talk about building a bridge, but yet I don't have a bridge within my own identities. And I felt the weight of that awareness. Because you were getting a little, I don't know if pushback's the right word, but you were stepping into definitely like bringing Create the Love, the brand, the page. You were showing up there and saying some of the things that were really on your heart at the time that were topical to not to relationships, but to the pandemic, to vaccines. And again, that wasn't working, was it? I think I was afraid to let that die. There's been a desire to dive, as I dive deeper in my own spiritual experience, psyche, all that stuff, you know, I really relate to work of people like Ram Das, you know, who went from, you know, being a psychologist to working in the spiritual space, Alan Watts, Martha Beck, like a recent teacher that I really love, and Wayne Dyer in the same space, that merger of psychology with spiritual. And I remember working with a brand team and they said to me that my audience doesn't want to go deeper. Like they want to stay on the surface and talk about breakups. And I'm like, yeah, but that's the same bullshit. Like, that's the same, like, if I'm afraid that they're going to not want to go deeper, so I don't go deeper, I play small to protect the what? The impact of depth? I mean, that's just bullshit. And to me, it's like, am I ready to lose the people who don't want to come along? You know, at one point, my Instagram account was growing like 50 to 100,000 people a month. It has grown maybe <laughs> 50,000 in the last year. And I would say that I'm in this transition point, right, where I can tell that It's Mark Groves and Create the Love have to merge. And I've spoken about it on my newsletter. I just don't know what it looks like. But there's an acceptance of that truth now. And I think about the prostitute archetype, the archetype of like, what are you willing to give up to sort of sell yourself? And I've recognized that that has sort of made its way into my way of being. And, you know, it's like when you recognize things like this, you're like, oh, well, I got to teach from this space. And so I can't not live it. Like It's not optional. As you know, you like can't just say something. It's like we were talking about before we hit record. It's like you tell people choose her every day or leave her and then you don't choose your partner every day. <laughs> exactly. Right. But there's a resonance to your words because you do that. And yeah, I feel like I'm in the cocoon and I'm in that point where the caterpillar is just mush. But there is an emergence. There's like a sense and I want to rush the knowing. And that's the part that I'm... Oh, yeah, rush. Are you knowing. in there? Oh, well, not so much right now. I mean, man, I've been there so many times though over my life. I think when we are growing and developing, we're constantly experiencing endings and stepping into the neutral zone or the crossroads or the cocoon and to be rebirthed into new beginnings that we can't see until they arrive. But just as you're speaking and sharing, I mean, one of the things I think is important for just to speak out loud to our listeners too is... Our culture, we don't encourage transitions. We don't encourage endings. You know, we encourage holding on to what's safe. We encourage holding on to what's in pocket and not 
being willing to step into the neutral zone, to let go of what is sure and safe and comfortable and what's working, even if it's not working, well, at least it's familiar. It's like, you know, the, the devil you know is better than the one you don't kind of thing. And so I think what you're speaking to is such a vital human experience that I just going to say we humans need to give ourselves to more the willingness for things to end because of the deep callings within that are telling us it's time. This is no longer the, I don't know, I'll use these words, but the authentic expression of my being. This is not, this ain't cutting it anymore. And we don't have a culture that then supports that transition because why? We got to pay our bills. We got to put food on the table. We, this, the structural system doesn't allow for us to step into the unknowing. And who are you, Mark? If you're not create the love, who are you? What's your identity? If you're not getting, you know, 50,000 more followers a month and things are slowing down and people are starting to pay less attention and et cetera, et cetera, they don't want to talk about it. Like, who are you now? Yeah, it's been interesting to explore that on the level of, I remember listening to Russell Brand a couple of years, maybe five years ago, him saying to allow your identity to be fluid. And you don't realize what you're attached to till you need to let it go. And I think that's the thing about attachments, because often they can come from, they generally come from an authentic, beautiful place. Even the creation of Create the Love came from this desire to tell the truth, to talk about relationships in a way that embraced endings and celebrations and expansion from pain. And something else is being birthed in a similar way. But I recognize the fear of letting it go, but knowing that it must be. And before I started Create the Love, I remember our mutual connection, Kyle Cease, saying like, you can't, you just have to trust. And when you let go and you step into the possibility, you are held. And I know that's true. Like, I do know that's true. I know that from experience. I didn't know that before till I Create the Love. But I know that from experience now. I think there's this interesting thing where we want to know, right? Like, we want to know the next step. We want to know the next thing. But I don't think you get the net, right? Like when they say jump off the cliff and the universe will catch you. I don't think you get caught unless you jump without knowing there's a net. You know, I think that's actually part of it. And as much as I say that, when I'm in the act of doing it, it's easy to look back and be like, everybody just fucking jump off this cliff. There's nets everywhere. <laughs> but I haven't jumped off this cliff. I know I'll come back to this conversation in a year and be like, well, that was fucking crazy. You know, like... <laughs> As I was thinking about our conversation today, I came across a TEDx talk by a woman named Isabel Stenzel Burns. She had cystic fibrosis, fibrosis and she survived and she's still alive, I believe. But she outlived, she shares in this TED talk, she said goodbye to 123 friends wow. that died along the way. 123 close friends and people she had to say goodbye to. And the woman ain't even 40 yet. And she said something really beautiful and poignant and a lot of things beautiful and poignant, but she said, we're wired for attachment in a world where everything is temporary. We're wired for attachment. Painful, <laughs> in a universal world. truth. Yeah. What I love about that, it's like it, it gives me permission to still want to hold on, even though all of the wisdom and the sages say, let go. There's that part of me that's still like, I don't want to let go. It's scary to let <laughs> right. go. This has been my... Can I win the lottery and then let go? That's <laughs> That'd be, so, that'd be so much easier to let go, right? <laughs> uh, right? That is a beautiful statement. And I think the other thing that's been interesting to explore from just awareness of growing something in a digital space is 
the conflict between that Instagram or the internet, but I'd say Instagram has been so powerful in my life, like in terms of connecting me to people. I mean, the internet ultimately connected you and I years and years ago. You're brought where formerly if you grew up in like a small town or in a tribe or whatever it might be, and you had ideologies that had friction or your values had friction with the community's values or your religious values or whatever it is, you actually ended up silencing yourself generally to maintain group membership. This still obviously happens and is still something that we struggle with biologically. But now you can at least find other people who have similar desires, similar and I met Kylie, my fiance and soon to be mother of our child, and met her through Instagram. So there's all these, I built a business, I got to impact people. I, there's all these beautiful things. And yet, I also now, because I said at the beginning that I didn't miss a post in a day for fucking eight years or something. And I took a month off last October. And now I realize the extractive nature of it too. Like, Let's say, for example, like Instagram's going through a pretty big transition for probably the last six to eight months, where instead of being you get content that you follow, they're now modeling after TikTok, which is they call it content forward. So they're now showing content that's going to keep you on it, not content that you said you desired to see. So your dopamine is being like, oh, yeah, I want titties and ass. But your brain is like, I want to learn. I want to learn from Brian Reeves. I want to learn from blah, blah, blah. And, you know, as much as I hit not interested, there's a part of my biology that's, like, very interested in this booty <laughs> shaking. Yeah. But it still will pop up. Another type of booty will pop up on my Explore page. But I say all this because some of the awarenesses that I've had through my own psychological experience now is that when they change what is desired or what will get reach, the creator then says, I got to produce content that will get reach. And everybody who's on these platforms is a creator, right, in some way. And so what happens is, is we start to alter our way of teaching or delivery, which can be a good thing. It's not always bad. But what happens is, is we actually can start to move out of integrity with what we want to do because we all of a sudden realize we might become irrelevant to the algorithm, not to people, but to the algorithm because our content and the way we're delivering it is not extractive enough. And so we pivot, we might pivot. And I know that for me, that's where I started to feel like I'm now a conduit. Like if I'm creating content that will get more attention, then that means I'm now curating what I'm teaching and saying in order to get attention. And so now I've become a conduit of extraction for the platform. And in relationship, to talk about this, I know you've taught about this, when one person is the provider or has significantly more access to resources. Harriet Lerner talks about how if you're not free to leave a relationship, like literally, you won't feel free to be yourself in that relationship. And knowing that, like historically financial abuse and the experience of 1950s, you know, breadwinner relationships, and then people saw their mothers go through that and, and fathers maybe more now. That's where the revolution of like, I'm I make my own money, I'm going to do my own thing. And that was all important to a point. But my point being that I experienced the same feeling with a platform where it's like you're building a business in someone else's business and in a moment they can take it away like it's funny because if you it's not funny but if you look at like Facebook that occurred in one day they changed it and all of a sudden all these people who'd put money into investing into businesses those were gone and so I'm in this strange point too where I'm angry at the extractive nature of social media and yet 
I've had so many beautiful benefits to the experience of being on social media. And so I recognize the psychological impact of social media on anxiety, on all those things. I read the research. The research is pretty clear. You watch The Social Dilemma. None of these people's kids are on fucking social media. That should tell us all these executives from Instagram, Facebook. And so that's the other part that I'm just sort of negotiating. Like, where is technology? Where does it have a place in my life? And to help and to be with people and to commune and to have conversations. And where am I actually being exploited and extracted from? And I don't want to participate in that. Does that make sense? I know that was a long well, look, you, you you said a lot of things in there. I'll share my Facebook account. So I, you know, I had a good following on Facebook, approaching a hundred thousand readers on Facebook, and my account was hacked last year. It took me five days to get it back, and in the meantime, the hackers did some weird shit with my account, ran some weird ads, and and before I figured out what was going on, canceled my credit card, etc. And I got my account back, but since then, Facebook has deactivated. I can't do ads. I can't use my account for business, essentially. What I had invested time and energy and money in for years is now essentially a, almost a dead asset for me because I can't get anyone on Facebook on the goddamn phone. They have no customer service. $46 billion company last year, they don't need customer service. Like, how the fuck? What business is that actually a reg like an okay way of being? Isn't that crazy? We've lowered our expectations because they just fucking feed us more stuff. I need them more than they need little old me. Right. So I can very much relate to the fragility as well of having, like how you said it, of building a business inside of another business. <laughs> I'm just a little mosquito in the room of giant mosquitoes for them. And so, yeah, man, it's incredibly fragile. And, you know, and I can also relate to my audience is 85% women has been for years because who cares about relationship Learning about relationships is mostly women. You know, 15% of men are there too. Great. Now, though, my work is moving in the direction of talking about men and really pouring into the experience of men and speaking to men. Well, if only 15% of my audience is men, and you know, a lot, there are a lot of women, fortunately, I suppose, a lot of women want to hear about men's stuff also. So great. Okay. Yeah, isn't so. that wild? <laughs> like, I think that's wild that like male specific content gets consumed at the same rate or more by women in order to understand men. A hundred percent. And I remember when I was learning, when I was in my, really in my deep, intense studying years of relationships and I was, man, I was consuming Lots of work, like from Catherine Woodward Thomas. She was oh, doing yeah. work, work yeah, for for women and speaking to women. I was one of the fifteen percent of guys in those rooms. It was incredibly instructive and invaluable for me. But now I'm negotiating that similar transition of wow, what's worked for me so long? I'm ready to have a new conversation. But the people with whom I want to have those conversations, the majority of the people following my work. So not letting it stop me. Right? right? To some degree, Mark, I came kicking and screaming into this transition. I didn't want this transition. <laughs> I didn't want it. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one. I'm like, it was so easy just to talk about breakups and <laughs> you know, unavailable people and what the fuck. Yeah, but I think too, is we're growing and developing as humans. I said this earlier, like we're just endings and transitions. They're just a part of moving through life. So you're in this neutral zone. And by the way, I want to call out, you said something about your partner, Kylie, being soon to be what? Mother. Yeah. She's in March. In March, we're expecting. How does it feel to say that? 
it feels exciting and like what I've wanted. It's interesting because it's a very similar feeling. It's like what I've wanted for so long or looked forward to maybe is the right way of saying it. And being able to do it with such an incredible woman is really, I feel so blessed. And yet I feel so unprepared, you know, on some level, like I feel the pressure to provide. That's the other part because this all plays into similar what I know, how I know. I also don't know, and I'd love to have this conversation, but in my exploration and in my experience with the men's group that I'm part of, there's not really a lot of space in society for a conversation about the pressure to provide and there being a compassionate space. You know, we talked about how many men consume emotional information and how it is pretty clearly much lower. But I also recognize that the world teaches men to not have any emotion or to have certain emotions. And the very thing their relationships demand from them is the very thing they're told to trade their masculinity for. And that journey back to emotional fluency has to, on some level, facilitate the death of the framework or paradigm that men are taught to be. That masculinity is actually the embracing of the plethora of emotional intelligence, but not spill it out. I think that's usually what happens is we don't know how to be with anger. We don't know how to be with it in a clean way. We don't know how to be with grief in a way that we're not necessarily putting it on our partners, like you're rooted in the expression. And so becoming a father has been really interesting in that because I'm like, wait, there's not really a lot of space for this conversation. My partner is fantastic to talk to about it. And also how she feels being provided like that weird feeling of almost like abandoning feminism, you know, which is really fascinating. You know, it's curious your thoughts on that. Well, Sylvia and I have talked about this too. We hope to have a child in the next few years. And we've talked about me stepping forward as the primary breadwinner, as they say, we used to say, and I suppose we still say, and her really grounding in with the child for at least a year. There would have been a time in my life where I would have been like, no, not interested in that. That sounds antiquated to me. That sounds like moving backwards. There's definitely a time in my life where I would not have been on board on that. But as I have learned and grown and just come to understand intimacy and relationship, and if a woman wants to do a month or three months of nursing and get back out into the workforce and rock out while hubby or partner stays home and takes care of the baby, more power to you. Fantastic. You know, I really understand Sylvie's longing. You know, she's not a mother yet, and I'll never be a mother, <laughs> but that child is coming out of her body. She's splitting into two people. Like, she, <laughs> I mean, she's literally splitting into a second person that grew out of her like a limb. And I can understand how she just naturally want to spend as much time, need to spend as much time as possible with that being for the next years, even. I do get, though, there is often a challenge for, for new fathers to connect with their child because it didn't grow out of my body. For a lot of dads, and I don't know your experience, but a lot of the, the fathers that are in this, the nine-month pregnancy stage, it's a roller coaster ride for men as well, just managing or being with or in less evolved terms, dealing with <laughs> the, the woman that is, you know, maybe running them a little ragged. And then a child shows up at the end of that, and they just have to feel connected to it and want to hang out with it all the time. I mean, 
I'm speaking from ignorance here because I'm not a father, but what does it feel like for you right now being in this neutral zone, even of fatherhood? The baby's not here. The baby's conceived. It's in your partner's belly. You are a dad, but there's no baby to hold or there's or to feed or to burp or, but you got a woman. Yeah. I mean, so many beautiful things you're expressing there that give language to somatic experiences in the last, you know, I think what's funny is how you said, like maybe in less evolved terms, there's sort of been space between Kai and I to have these conversations that are sort of, uh, that would be frowned upon. And I think what's been cool is to, you've always done, and I strive to do too, is to normalize things that we might want to hide. And so one thing that was funny is normally Kai in the kitchen is like, dishes don't land in the sink for very long. Like, she desires, and I do too, a clean area to be in. I notice these plates piling up in the dishes, in the sink. So, you know, I'm like, I do them, clean them. And the next day I notice again, and hey, I got no problem cleaning the dishes that are in there. You know, as long as I have awareness that that's now, I got, this is a new responsibility to do both all the time. In the first trimester, she felt a lot of nausea, like just baseline nausea, you know, just like, Kind of like the way she sort of verbalized it is just like almost like hung over all the time, like that kind of feeling, even though she doesn't drink. But that it was her reference point. I'm like, Oof, that doesn't sound good. But I'm watching her lay on the couch, grow a baby, right? Like she's doing incredible <laughs> things. <laughs> but in my brain, it looks like nothing, right? Right, right. right. Just sitting and there. she's still working and doing stuff, <laughs> but just I just noticed she's resting. And I, I said to her when we were in the kitchen together, I was like, I just need to understand something. Am I? Is that taking... how you started the sentence? Yeah, that's Got how it. I started it. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try that. See how that yeah. goes. <laughs> yeah, but how I finished the sentence wasn't as prolific. I just need to understand something. Am I taking on both gender roles now? <laughs> and she looked at me like, uh-huh. are you serious right now? Like, that's the. And it was a great, it was the right response, but I was being funny. And at the same time, I was being serious, like, wait, is this a new expectation? I just need to know. And she was like, yes, I'm growing a child. This is a new expectation. (laughs) I'm growing a baby. I'm adding a member to this family. You can wash some dishes. (laughs) It's prolific work. You know, I think that's the other thing is witnessing my partner be a portal. A midwife we're working with said to us that it's one of those times where you really recognize that you're a mammal. And I was like, yeah, "Yeah, that's so true. (laughs) Like it's, it's humanized as much as the ego or the mind moves us, you know, elevates us. And the other thing with a made up name, a mammal with a made up name, like just a bag of flesh with a name. (laughs) And she said to you, like, we had a great conversation because I said, I reconcile with this feeling that I know you're not doing nothing when you're laying on the couch. Like I know that, but there's a part of me that like resents that you're laying on the couch. And I know that, like I rationally understand. And what I love about our relationship is that there's space for what I feel ashamed about feeling. I felt shame feeling that. I felt shame looking at it and being like, I'd like to sit on the couch, you know, (laughs) even though that's actually not true and I'm not like a napper or anything. It was just this weird, but she held it with such grace. She wasn't mad at me. She was like, yeah, I totally get that. And it stimulated this really beautiful conversation. And It made me think how in previous relationships, I didn't know how to hold that space. I probably would have never brought forward that feeling because I would have been afraid of her response and shame that I even felt that way. 
And knowing that now we've co-created this space that even the thing that's like a, a thought that no one would often share out loud, what I love about the relationship that we've created is it really is sort of an altar for truth in that it doesn't get, you know, we don't always react maybe with loving acceptance to the first thought of everything, but there is always a coming back and there's a repair and there's a, but the fact that I could bring that to the table and deal with how does it feel to provide and like, how does it feel thinking about the pressure to work and create and that being actually my responsibility and also protect, you know, that now I feel that instinct more of like, what world is my child coming into and what do I stand for? Because it's made me more vocal, you know, in terms of the type of world I want to create and what I'm going to tolerate and what I'm going to celebrate. I know there's a giant melting occurring. Also that we're going from couple to family. And I also recognize intellectually that it goes from child needs mother, father needs mother. <laughs> And that touch becomes associated with need for the mother. And I've known that intellectually. I've known that from research and conversations. But to actually then enter the place of living it, you know, I look at her her boobs and I'm like, oh, those, let's get on that. You know? <laughs> and but, I need. Here comes right. Mark's neediness. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, but they're not, you know, you realize that now is actually a tool of service, not to Mark, but to a child. I just feel like these are all things that maybe men think, but don't say, but who knows. How many years would you say it's taken you and Kylie to get to this place where you can just, you know, me and Sylvie, we're seven years together. She said this to me uh, maybe two nights ago, literally just this past week. She said to me, you know, Brian, I am amazed at how far we've come. Like, I love that we're in this rhythm, that things are things come up, we get through them. Like we're just, we're in such a good rhythm and we have our messy moments, but we do, we get through them so fast. There's so much trust and safety built up between us. I was marking that like, cause I usually tell couples expect it to take 10 years to get really good at being with each other. I usually just say that as a test of sorts to see, are you in for the journey? Or when you think of 10 years with this bozo, no thanks, I'm out. <laughs> okay. It's a good yeah, test. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> And so like seven years, Sylvie and I, I would say, you know, six, seven years. Like, what about you and Kylie? How long would you say it, it took you to get to just where you're at now and, and able to say these kinds of things, these ridiculous things and, and not have it turn into a meltdown? Yeah, these types of conversations feel recent. Probably since we got back together, there's the breaking up when we broke up for a year, which I think we talked about on the previous episode we did together, the leaving or the ending was such a dedication to truth. And it really, in the coming back together, that was the main, like that was the thing that we put ahead of everything was like truth first. And then can the relationship hold it? And can the relationship expand? Can it celebrate it? Is the truth leading us towards each other or away? And if it's leading us away, can we bring ourselves back? Does it, you know, all that stuff that I'm sure you and Sylvie speak about too. And, you know, we were together about five years before we broke up and i mean the first time i even asked her like i declared my intention of being together and that i didn't want to see other people that my choice was to be with her and you know how did she feel about that i got about the worst response that your <laughs> anxious attachment would want uh -huh. uh, but i was so <laughs> secure in my own choice that was growing for me that I, this is what i want 
fun if you don't want it cool, but that's what I want. And she just paused and it was like a long fucking, like you could tell that she was flooded and she, you know, she had gone through a pretty significant divorce and that had, you know, so I recognized all the things when you're talking about commitment, when someone's had such trauma from commitment that, you know, the discussion about commitment, I knew consciously, like formally I would have been like, she's out, right? Like <laughs> it's done. But I knew to sit with that and get curious about it. And then I remember us having a fight about something and both laying on the bed, neither of us able to put words, you know, just a couple flooded people. And now I think about the way we dialogue. I mean, it's been, we've been together, I think, seven years. I can never get the right starting year because I don't know when I, you know, but I think it was like, we've been together since, yeah, 2015-ish, I think, the beginning of 2015. And then we had our, as Kai calls it, the sacred pause. And We've grown so much together, you know, and I think, as you said, there's so much trust between Sylvie and you. There's so much trust between us that I can bring the things that I feel shame about and put them there, and I've never put them anywhere. I mean, to be loved in that way is such a, to share love in that way is, you realize, you know, how sacred actually commitment is. And I think of a line from Jordan Peterson, which I'm sure people have mixed opinions on Jordan Peterson, but... He has a line that I love where he says that commitment only works when you do it. And that's been really profound as like a, a really knowing, like, I don't want to, I don't care about other women because everything's a downgrade. You know, that's how I think about it. It's like, everything's a downgrade. Like I already, I'm already bad now to my league. I'm keeping it, you know, like I'm not going back to the fucking training camp like that. And I think that because there's that reverence for one another, I can only speak for myself, but because there's that reverence means a lot the breakthrough moment for me in really surrendering to devotion to my relationship with sylvie was the realization that there's no longer a better woman out there there's different but not better and i think that myth of pursuing better for my whole life just messed me up in all kinds of ways I mean, look, it served me to learn and grow and explore and experiment and, you know, so I don't just the stage, stage that I went through, but, but having that realization, I find myself in this place, this really fascinating place. I, I living so long in the longing for what I didn't have. And now that I have it, my Twitter bio used to be seeking nothing but a good woman, a good dog and good work. <laughs> I love it. And the other day, Sylvie, we were on the couch and Sylvie's, you know, I probably just gotten off a call with one of my men's groups and, you know, I'm lit up by that. And Sylvie's on one side with her big, beautiful eyes and beaming smile. My dog is, her head is on right the, on the other side of me. And Sylvie looks at me and goes, well, we're here. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> so good. And I'm looking at all this and I'm like, there's a part of me that's also like, whoa, this is overwhelming. I got it. It's right in my face. And how do I be with this now? You know, that's one of the great and beautiful challenges and practices of my life right now is just, I'm always going to be an ambitious person of some sort or another, even if it just means getting gutter guards installed on my house. You know, that's, my, that's one of my ambitions at the moment. It's a very mundane ambition, but it's kind of, I own a house now. It's kind of exciting right. to reach for the roof. I like it. It's, <laughs> Look, I got, I got excited to get a leaf blower the other day. Dude, I bought one of those last year. I get it. It's like, like who I never I? knew an appliance could be sexy either. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I'm like, that fridge, that fridge, if it's wearing the right thing. <laughs>
It's like, who am I? Who is this person? But I think there's also, in the spirit of the theme we're exploring today, the stage is in a transition. There's an ending. There's an old identity of Brian Reeves that's over. You know, single guy, ambitious, you know, professionally ambitious in the sense of reaching for a success that I don't yet have. And I'm still in the throes of this challenge, as you spoke to earlier, Mark, the I want to have a voice in the conversation, in the collective conversation. I have opinions, I have thoughts, I have ideas, I have perspective, and I want to share those things. And I am in a bit of a neutral zone about how do I do that in a way that doesn't cost me my livelihood. Yeah, that's the negotiation, right? Because I think if we're putting words to things that have never been spoken in a certain way, it makes it only makes sense that we're going to get the wrong words in the wrong order. And that's how you find the right words in the right order. And when we're talking about if we don't discuss things that need to be discussed, then we participate in the cancellation of that dialogue just by having the absence of it. And I think of how important all these conversations are and how important it is that people feel loved and safe and all that stuff. But, you know, one thing I've realized a lot in the last couple of years, especially, is that the world itself is triggering. <laughs> like, like, if you're out there looking to be triggered, you will always be triggered. And if you don't know how to have the capacity actually for your dysregulation and instead you try to censor the world, you will always be seeking to try to make everyone change so that you don't have to change and you don't have to adapt. One of the guys in my uh, Elevate program, we have him doing a practice where he's so triggered every time he gets in his truck and he gets to the end of the driveway and then starts to drive on public roads. He hates every other driver on the road. <laughs> so... Like it immediately, I asked him, like, when do you start, when do you notice you start to get triggered? He's like, oh, as soon as I get to the end of my driveway. <laughs> so we have him doing practice in traffic, driving practice of, of breathing and certain mantras. So anyway, yeah, the world is fucking triggering. And, it, you know, we had a conversation when I was in Austin that was, you know, that's what I love about having conversations with people like you or just in general people who know how to not even disagree, but challenge, explore, be curious. And I think that's been something that we've really missed is curiosity. The thing that gives the illusion of separateness or the illusion of these binaries in whatever conversation we're having is that we are not curious to where we're actually connected. You know, I think of like the pro-life, pro-choice conversation. If you actually get into the nuance of where life ends and it begins and all those types of things, again, a very sensitive subject for good reason. People are probably not that far apart, and there's probably places we can meet, and that's true of, I think, every sensitive subject, but the fact that we name call or, or someone said that I must be, I'm right wing now because I'm challenged the conversation about vaccines, and I've done it since the beginning, not vaccines, but just the COVID experience and the way science has been presented, the way that there's been a lack of dialogue. And someone said, oh, you're right wing. And I was like, okay, outside of what you believe about, you know, in position in terms of, I'm just not for mandates. And there's a lot of obviously nuance to all of that conversation that we don't need to get into. But I was very curious, like other than that, other than my view on is this anything else right wing? And the person was like, well, no. Wow. So you put me in this box because it makes the world seemingly easier to organize. And now you can dismiss everything I'm saying because I must be pro this, pro that, pro whatever, or anti, all these things. And there's no humanity in that. And formally, I probably 
would have been a little more reactive to it. So what I've learned so much, I mean, it's been such a gift what we've been through in the last three years because I've learned so much how I do that, how I get dysregulated and create division without even meaning to. When I leaned into the conversation with this person, there was actually a connection created because they said, actually, you know what? You're right. There isn't anything else. And then we had this beautiful dialogue. And I thought, how beautiful would that be to be a public conversation? Yeah, 100%, man. How has your team responded to the transition you're going through? How has my team responded? Well, you know, when I first had this sort of uh, awareness or breakdown, breakthrough, whatever the fuck you want to call it, when I took that month off, there was an exploration of, like, I remember Googling, did I have a psychotic break? Wow. What is the other term? A psychotic break or... Nervous breakdown? That's right. So I Googled psychotic break or nervous breakdown. Because I was being asked to produce something for company, and I didn't want it. I was like, I don't want to do it. Like I was at capacity. They asked for more things beyond the agreements that we'd made, and I was like, cancel it all. Because I was sitting with my head in my hands, and I was afraid of where my mind would go. Like I was actually at capacity. Emotionally, I was at capacity for what I was holding. And I remember thinking to myself, like, if I don't cancel all of this, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to my brain. And I'm guessing people probably hold a little longer, but I had no ability to. Like, as soon as I had that moment, I broke down. I was crying and it was with my team. And there was actually so much compassion in that moment because they saw how much I'd been holding, how much I'd had to content production, all the things. At that time, I had like seven people full time and I let go of a couple right away. And I was like, I got to change how I'm doing things. And in the last year, there's been a sort of like coming back to that same edge because I didn't know what choosing or the transition looked like. I still don't fully know what it looks like. But there is a now a complete acceptance that I must go. And then it's not even another direction. It's just like a more, I need to let go, create the love and just be Mark Groves. You know, I remember reading Danielle Laporte years ago where she said if she had to choose like, starting a brand, I think her first one was White Hot Truth or something like that. And she said if she was to start it all over again, she'd just be Danielle Laporte and then all the ways she creates would move through her, but she wouldn't change. And I remember thinking that then, like, oh, that's pretty smart. And the birth of Create the Love was the idea that we like think fate will bring us love and blah, blah, but it's really about creating it, showing up for it. I think because the perception of love is only positive experience, which is obviously not true. We all know that. And what you're talking about with Sylvie and my experience with Kylie is that I actually don't have a map for where I'm going even relationally anymore. I'd say on some level surpass what I was taught. And I don't mean that hierarchically. I just mean skill set wise. And, and now I'm wading in water that I actually were in the deep of the fucking ocean. Let's be honest. I don't have a map. And so I'm creating it every day with her. And there's something safe about that, right? That you're like holding their hand. And sometimes she's leading and sometimes I am. And because of the sort of rudder of my work has always been just being in integrity with what is true for me. And my team has been really supportive while also managing their own nervousness of my lack of clear direction. And they've kind of been the ones who have maintained and stayed with me through this. They kind of just know that's how I work. But I also want to be mindful that there is a requirement for security for them psychologically, emotionally, financially. So it's been pretty good. 
and also as a leader, I've had to learn that like my fluidity or fears, they do get absorbed by them. And, and so I've had to learn as a, yeah, how to create space for that while not apologizing for my experience. But, you know, this is the nature of creation, right? Like when your work is your own creativity and expression, I mean, we're in such a different world. It's like historically our parents or fathers mainly previously went to work and did this thing, you know, fucking built the thing every or did something every day. And I think we're in such a different place. I mean, it's not like 25% of young people today say they want to be influencers. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, I was like, what are you going to influence? Like, <laughs> Right. And I'm you, like, you pushing do you know? Us? Yeah, do you know psychologically what impact that is actually going to have on you? I think that's also something I'm really passionate about exploring is like, what is the cost to all, all of this technology? What are you saying goodbye to in this transition? You know, probably the certainty of the expertise. Like, I could pretty much talk about anything to do with relationship. I can at least explore it with curious lens and organized patterns and, you know, all the things. I know pretty much the way out or through any relational challenge. I don't know the bridge. I don't know because I'm building it, you know. So I think that's, I'm saying goodbye to certainty or like authority in some level, but also trusting authority. In another way, I'm also saying goodbye to, I think, I'm saying hello to more imposter syndrome. Also, knowing credentialism and how that impacts what people believe they can speak about. It's like, where's my value if it's not in a PhD, but yet I'm having conversations that, you know, that PhDs are having in a psychological sense. You know, I'm sure you've negotiated that one yourself over time. What about you? What are you saying goodbye to? A familiar and comfortable conversation. Yeah, I relate to that. I'm in a similar place with Sylvie where I feel like I'm always in the practice and even still learning, even the things that I teach. But I feel like I'm in such a good rhythm in the practice and the learning and the exploration that I'm also just bored of talking about it, you know, as what we said earlier. And man, that's been a source of income. It's been a source of admiration. It's been a source of praise from people. It's been a source of connection even even just knowing what to do with my days. So similar, I like how you language it. I'm saying goodbye to certainty in a sense. I'm saying goodbye to being an expert or having that identification. How many expert summits have I been invited to over the years? Which, <laughs> which Oh, just, the old summit. Oh. Please stop inviting me to summits if you're listening to this. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. just, I just don't want to yeah. do them. <laughs> I definitely relate to everything you're saying. There's an interesting, you know, like knowing but not being, you know, like knowing that you build expertise truly through experience, not to say that you can't build expertise through the intellectual gathering of, of literal information. But I think like knowing your way through heartbreak is different than knowing the steps that a book teaches you on the way through heartbreak, right? If that book is written from the experience, I think it's encoded differently than here's the like five steps of grief and here's how you do blah, or here's how you communicate. It's like, are you being it? And I think I'm, I'm in the like part where I put my foot out and I'm like, is there floor? And as I build or trust the ability to consciously, empathically, compassionately, and ferociously move towards the things that are moving me. Well, the third stage in William Bridges' transition models is very simple, new beginning. 
right? Well, the beginning. Let's do it. What is next? And we'll save that conversation for another time as it comes more clear to you. I'd love to have you back on for you to share what it is that's emerging for you and, and what that looks like. And But the last question I want to ask you, let's say someone's listening and they know there is a transition. Their soul is calling for it. They can feel the agitation, They whether it's because they're just bored with what is or there's a deep stirring, a yearning for something that they maybe can't even articulate yet. But they can relate to so much of what we talked about here, and yet they're hesitating, holding on to what's familiar, holding on to what's comfortable, holding on to what has been safe. What's a piece of wisdom, advice, insight that you would share with that person to not push them over the edge? Because who knows whether they need to step over that edge or not. But what would you offer to the person who's listening, who's in that space right now? Well, I think as I say it to myself, you know, the conversation that we've been having is really, I think, just evidence of you don't get to know. Like, you don't get to know. You don't. And you don't get to know till you know. And that can't be forced or rushed. But staying still can also not. I think it's Tony Robbins who says, if you're not growing, you're not. You're dying. And I 100% believe that. Like, if I don't say yes to the next mission, the next thing, the transition, the conversation, you know, like every deeper depth with Kylie, then I will be dragged into it. And I won't like how I get there, you know? And in a way, that head in the hands moment where I thought I was going to have a psychotic break or had one, and then when I Googled it, I was pleasantly surprised that I didn't and grateful. There were many warning signs before that, many intuitive feelings. And I didn't know that, in hindsight, it's clear that they were. But it wasn't until that moment that I really recognized the cost of not listening. And I think we all can relate on some level to our life experience, the cost. And I think there's nothing to be, like I'm not going to shame myself for not making transitions or not making changes or not accepting the mission or whatever it is because I didn't know that I wasn't. Like I didn't know that I was fucking subconsciously navigating like a ninja the desire to not be with the unknown and the next level of that though is being in integrity with the new knowledge and so i think for anyone listening maybe you relate to some of the things we're talking about but like once you say yes to the mission and the steps unfold it's just like trust i just say now show me the way i'll walk it but then when the way shows up and you don't like it <laughs> that's right. the part where it's like the universe is like or god or whatever your modus operandi is it's like what's that saying let go or be dragged and i really believe that's true it's like either way you're going to become who you need to be so you might as well do it by choice rather than <laughs> kicking and screaming right our mutual friend preston introduced that idea to me not long ago he said whisper tap two by four that's what happens. First, it starts with a whisper. You hear the whisper, but you ignore that. So then the universe life taps on you and says, but hey, I'm trying to get your attention. So you ignore that. Well, here comes the two by four. <laughs> right I call it the, the cosmic two by four. It fucking... And then the cosmic dump truck comes. Because we can shake off the two by four even. That's right. I've watched some of Preston's videos where I'm like, damn, fuck. <laughs> you know, like, shit, I got to do that thing now. Because he does that like inspirational spinning and music and his voice. And I'm like, oh, I got to get on that. Well, Mark, this conversation, as always with you, leaves me wanting more. I have more questions, more to explore. But that's what I love about our friendship, man. The conversation is never complete. I think that's a beautiful thing. 
Yeah, and you know, I appreciate you as a friend and very much like a a brother walking alongside and when you're steps ahead, really reading and hearing your words is is a path. So I appreciate that and I appreciate you. Thank you, man. And congratulations on a new baby. Shit, the next time we do wow. this, maybe I'll be a dad and then I can tell you how much more melted away. Well, one of my friends who had a bunch of children pointed out to another one of my friends who had just gotten pregnant that the moment your wife is pregnant, you are a dad. So I am a dad. You are a dad. Yeah, you know, it'd be interesting to have a conversation with Stefanos months ahead. Of, right. Like now he's just, what, a, almost a year. Right? Yep, yep, our mutual friend It'd be Steph interesting just had his baby. to have Athena. a three-way conversation. I would uh, love that because we're both very close to Steph and we know, man, he is in it first year of childhood and loving his daughter and I'll let him share his experience with all that. But I think that would be a fascinating conversation indeed. Yeah, I think it'd be super cool. Yeah, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me. Likewise, Mark. Thanks for coming on, man. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to my friend, Mark Groves. You can find Mark on Instagram at Create the Love and also now his new page, It's Mark Groves. That's where he's doing his new thing. Of course, all these links and any resources will be in the show notes at brianreeves.com slash podcast. Also, remember, if you'd like to experience empowering transformational coaching with me to help elevate your intimate relationship experiences or just elevate your life in the ways that are most meaningful to you, go to brianreeves.com slash elevate. It's Brian with a Y, reeves.com slash elevate and fill out the application on that page to get started on your coaching journey with me. And lastly, please Go write a review of this podcast right now on your podcast app. Doing so helps me immensely. And it also helps other people realize this is a trustable space. I deeply appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe yourself while you're at it. I'm your thriving life and relationship coach, Brian Reeves. Brian with a Y Reeves. Until soon, keep your head up, your breath relaxed, and your thoughts inspired.